This is Raga Matrix America. to the show. We have a great show for you because we've got a lot of stuff that has just happened and is about to happen. We're going to talk about it all. We've got Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean on the line. And Bruce, you're, you're, you're on a, a special phone. So I, uh, I don't know, you're on your iPhone. So is Siri going to jump in and talk to us about this, uh, this stuff in the middle of the show? Uh, nah, Siri's busy giving me a back rub. But uh, <laughs> I keep her busy during during her off hours. That's a long back rub. But I had a uh, I had an I had an excellent experience this week. I went out with forty eight guys from Xavier and Fordham to uh, some of the victims of Hurricane Sandy in Breezy Point and Rockaway the day after Thanksgiving, and we uh, and we did a lot of work on helping people re- more dem- demolish their houses than restore them. Right. But uh, helping people take things out and get things going, so it was, it was a pretty, pretty good effort from, in terms of of Xavier Xavier people and Fordham people, and and it was the day after they had their football game, their Thanksgiving Day game, which Xavier gladly won. But uh, really fun day, and and I'm I'm glad I went. I certainly, I certainly was uh, was tempted to roll back over, but the guy I coached yeah. the the JV for Tim Walsh was the one who organized it all. So he is, he is, uh, he's one of my favorite people. So I got up and went and, and everybody else did too. So it was, it was, it turned out to be a nice day, but it was, uh, yeah, definitely still devastation down there. I'm sure there is unbelievable. Uh, well, it's good that, uh, some people will be able to make progress locally and that's those are the guys are doing the job. So, Good for you for for not rolling over and going back to sleep and actually doing it. So um, good for that. Pat, how's it going? Well, it's good. I didn't do anything really philanthropic over the weekend, but uh, enjoyed some turkey. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's pretty much it. Okay. I got to watch the Eagles play Romania. That was a, that made for a good Saturday. So it was a good weekend. Yeah, it was. That's going to be the main. Uh, subject of our conversation the first part of this show we'll also be touching on the US 7s teams uh, going to Dubai and we will be talking about the 7s college championships we'll be right back on Rugga Matrix America Hey everybody, this is Alex Goff from Rugby Matrix America and RugbyMag.com and we all know it takes grit and determination just to get to the edge of a rugby pitch and it takes even more courage drive and passion to lock arms with your teammates and rise to the challenge and play in a game at Lauer Family Wines. They know that too. They have a passion for rugby and a passion for wine and that passion collides in their Hooker Wines line from Napa Valley. Steeped in the tradition, teamwork and heroism of the game and their drive inspires them to create wines that honor those who chase their passions in rugby and elsewhere in life. Get in the match and buy Hooker Wines online at hookerwines.com. We're back on Rugger Matrix America. This is Alex Goff with RugbyMag.com with me and Pat Clifton. And we spent a little bit of our past weekend uh, watching the final game of uh, the USA Tour to Europe. And to cap it all off, uh, the Eagles beat Romania in Bucharest 34-3. Uh, that, that puts their, their tour at 2-1. And uh, which is the first time they've won an overseas tour since 2003 when they went two and one at, at the Pan Ams down in Buenos Aires. Um, 
And I, you know, I, I've I've got some thoughts, and you know, we'll jump in with the other guys. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll start it off, and I wrote a column about this as well. Uh, this is this is a case here. I thought this was possibly going to be a close game in Bucharest. Uh, Romania is not a bad side; they're very tough up front. And while they lost to Japan the week before, they, the score was 34 to 23, and I think it was 27-23 late. Uh, they really pushed Japan, and Japan is a very very good team. Uh, for a tier two team, that is. So I thought it was going to be tough playing in in hostile territory, and lo and behold, what happens is the Eagles go in and they completely demolish uh, Romania. They play a really exciting brand of rugby. They attack from the beginning. They give up uh, one bad defensive lapse early on and manage to stop that from being a try. And then they just start scoring tries. I really enjoyed watching it. But it was also evident to me that this was uh, a win born out of a game plan, and it was a fun game plan, and it worked, and they executed, and they didn't drop the ball, and they didn't get stuck in scrum after scrum after scrum, and and they played about as good as I've seen them in a while. Um, and Bruce, uh, you know, you comment on this if you want, but I also want to say that you were right. The one thing you were right about definitely on this tour was that you were worried about depth and I still and I think at times the the lack of depth in the team was exposed but fortunately the frontline guys for the most part apart from Brian Doyle uh stayed healthy and because of that they performed well I thought it was a I thought it was a terrific tour I definitely think they missed Brian a bit but when it when it really comes down to it you got to look at how they performed in Romania they they beat a team on their home soil who's relatively equal in terms of IRB rankings and, and, and results over the years. And I said to Pat and I said to you prior, I said, I thought they're going to wipe them. I stood by that and, uh, and they did wipe them. They wiped yeah. them worse than I thought they would wipe them, but they wiped them. And, 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 and the good thing about it is the game plan I thought evolved into when they got quick ball, they gave the ball to the backs. And that allowed yes. them to showcase the uh, Sunula, Emmerich, Hume, Wilde, and Maguanya and, and really get themselves onto, when they were on the front foot, they really took it and put it on the accelerator. And in prior games, they had been given the ball to the forwards, probably some of the quicker ball, a little bit too much, and, and maybe slowed down their, their progress a bit. So I think that in doing this, and maybe it was by design, maybe it was by mistake, but I think that it, it made them perform better. So I hope to see a bit more of that. The other thing that I found impressive is that they won 34 to three, yet they are still somewhat of a work in progress. This was not even remotely close to what would what could be construed a perfect game. They certainly have. You know, they have work to do on the scrum. They have, they have work to do on depth. I think their kicking game can improve. I think their kick, their kick starts as far as a restart strategy when they kick off can can improve. I think that restarts in and of themselves, if you're going to score a lot of points, you've got to be really awesome receiving kicks because you're going to receive a lot of them. So, and so I think that the Eagles played fantastically well. I thought they... They gelled as a team. They came together. They, they played like men. They, they stuck up for each other, uh, although I, I, I think some of the off-the-ball stuff was, was unnecessary in that, you know, when you're winning, you're winning with the scoreboard through the talking. But 
they did stick up for each other. And I will say that this is, and, and not only are they a work in progress, they've made steady improvements from game to game to game to game to game. From the time that Mike's taken over up until now, they're a completely different team in terms of performance. And that's, that's terrific. And I think that that's only going to get better. I think that they do have a long way to go. And, but the amount of improvement that they've made and the joy that you see on the face of the players during the games is evident. And I think that that is going to translate. But I was really, really excited to see the Eagles performing the way they performed and knowing that this was not an anomaly, that this is only going to get better because they have so much that they can improve at that it, it's just it was it was nice to watch and not have to say like well this 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 and this it's, yeah it's just everything is making a steady nice improvement and it's it's coming and I think that the players trust the coaches the coaches trust the players the players trust each other and it, you can just see it you see it is a vibe you can't put your finger on that stuff but it's probably more important than anything. You know, you you say the word enjoyment, and I think that matters a great deal. If if you're playing a really boring brand of rugby and you're winning and you're 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 dominating people, then you know that's fun. But if you're if you're working towards something and you're still largely an amateur team, it 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 helps for it to be just fun to do. And all these we kept talking about all these players who have talent and their talent wasn't being utilized to its potential. And now I, I don't know how many touches Taku Nguyenya got, but he got several, many more than he normally he's been getting the last few years. And I'm sure he loved that. Uh, Pat, as a you know as a journalist, but also as a fan, I don't know. Uh, we didn't talk about it too much, but I mean this was a fun game to watch. Yeah, it was very much a fun game to watch. Um, the ball flying left to right, you're seeing uh, really great movement. You're seeing some some inside lines being taken that lead to tries. Um, some really great, you know, one of the most impressive plays I remember seeing was was uh, was Wiles' uh, try where, where Emmerich down the line offloads in a perfect timing. I mean, if he waits a half second later, it's a forward pass. Um, you know, if Wiles is a, is a half step behind that, it's, it's going to get deflected or, or intercepted. You know, watching it was some really some beautiful rugby to watch. And I'll piggyback off what Bruce was saying. I think one of the most promising things about it is that it wasn't a perfect game. That there were some tries that went unscored. You know, there was a knock on in the in the tries on by by Z. Um, there were a couple of opportunities that got dropped or didn't quite develop because of a decision here or there, a guy not looking right when he could have looked right and had to try. So the fact that we were able to make some of those takes and let some of those um, opportunities go uncapitalized and still win the way we did was really promising. And I was kind of, I guess I was the negative guy after the um, Tonga game, and I think fairly so, but it would be unfair to do anything but, you know, heap some praise on some of the guys after this game. And and Lou Stanfill, after having a, a not good game again, you know, he might even admit it, it was a, it was a poor game for him against against Tonga. And he came out and he played lights out against Romania, played fantastic. Um, you know, one of the better games, that's the Lou you remember, the aggressive guy who'll get up and make the stick and 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 push forward and and always break the game line. I thought he was great. And um, the other guy I was really impressed, you know, impressed with and kind of surprisingly 
was a little surprised of how impressive him was was uh, was John Quill. And I think that guy's about 22 years old. He's really young, so that's that's promising too. That there are some young guys stepping up who are going to be in the pipeline, hopefully, for several years. Like John, I thought I thought Quill had a great game um, in what his third game as an Eagle. Yep, I thought uh, actually another guy who we criticized, Chris Biller, had a solid game. And the thing is that the lineout has been so strong, and his throwing is a large part of that. That uh, that we have to recognize that you're right about Stanfield coming back and and bouncing back. We kind of knew he would. Um, he's he's just that kind of guy. Um, you know, the, the there were some off the ball things. Quill got a red card, and that's his second red card this this fall. So uh, he's got to watch out, be careful about not getting a reputation. Um, and, and and you saw a, a few players jump in and 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 try and. I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do, but it was, it was obvious that Todd Clever was telling people to telling Romanian players to back off, and it was kind of in, it was kind of funny, kind of amusing to see Scott Lavalla go in ostensibly to make sure that Chris Wiles didn't get popped in the face. Because Wiles was having an argument with some Romanian player, and and Lavalla stepped in, pushed Wiles back, and stood in front of him. At base. And and isn't that great in a way? I mean, it's kind of like the enforcer in hockey. you got your forwards going in and saying, you know, I've got to protect my goal kicker and my fullback, uh, and he's the guy to protect. If, 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 if I'm concerned about stuff, I'm concerned about the fact that, that we, we don't have quite a second 15. And if, if people look in this performance and say, you know, you've got to say it's a good performance. But we don't then say, are we now marching our way down the line? Are we now working our way where we can start saying we should beat Tonga? And Tonga beat Scotland, so maybe we're good enough to beat Scotland and things like that. It's nice to say that, but we we do need more depth, which means something domestically has to happen to continue to test players. And and Bruce, you talked a lot about this last week, so we don't want to go into it too much. But um, continue to test players so that you know, Chris Wilds doesn't play, and I thought Zach Pendulian played pretty well at fullback, but Chris Wilds doesn't play, and we don't have this vacuum of leadership and uh, um, everything else that he brings to the table. Well, I, I think that that, that was probably more uh, probably more confidence issue than than any. I mean, it, they they certainly miss Chris Wilds, and 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 they may you know they miss other people, but. I don't think they should have gotten involved in any of that stuff. The game was well in hand, and there was the only place that they can drag you was into the gutter, and you got to stay out of the gutter, and you got to act like a professional, and that's it. You're above that, and if they want to drag you into it, just leave and do it themselves. And I don't know what happened. I, and, you know, we have a rule on our team. We have the Jesus rule. You turn the other cheek. If you leave, or you tell the guy, that you're going to kick his effing ass in the parking lot. And if he still wants to go after the game, you go to the parking lot and have a fight like a man. And one of you is going to leave and one of you don't. But on the field, you can only hurt our team. And yeah, if you, you know, a fight uh, on the field, you only hurt your team. Don't Tom, hurt the opposition. Tom Billups, with the, when he was coaching the national team, used to say to players, you can take a punch for your country, can't you? And it's the same thing. Let's not get into a, a, a war of who's getting cards. Right. And, and I also don't – hey, look, I'm not a big believer in the free shot. I, I think the referees give yellow cards out. 
that should be read. You don't get a free shot. And that referee, he, I mean, I don't know how many times he said, the next bit of foul play and someone's out of here and I'm sending someone off. He must have said that four times without actually doing it. Well, you know what, Pat, you know what happened? (laughs) It was a very difficult. First off, Tonga's laying all over the ball. I mean, Tonga, uh, Romania's laying all over the ball. I mean, they were legitimately just laying all over the ball. Petri had to climb over them to play rugby. And and it, it had to have been massively frustrating. But the referee could have dealt with it by throwing a couple of yellows in, but it, the game would have gotten so out of hand into a 50 or 60, 70 point game. And I think that he was afraid to let that happen. <laughs> I, I, I really, I look, it's just, it's I, just, no, I'm not mocking you. I did. I, I actually, I believe you, but I just, it yeah. makes me laugh because they don't have any problem doing that when the USA is playing like Ireland. They don't have and, any problem at all. But but they do have a problem doing it when Ireland is playing Wales. Yes, I know. Which is which Definitely. is which is very similar to what was happening here. Right. They it, were two relatively equal teams. And I'm not and I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's right. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that no, the referee but in, in fairness to the United States, the refereeing on this tour has been relatively good for them. Like mm-hmm. it, like they weren't getting beaten by the way. I mean, I'm sure that there's certain calls that when I speak to Mike, that you know he may complain about certain things that might have happened in the Tonga game or in the uh, or in the Russia game. But you know, in and of it, watching it as a fan and not overanalyzing it, I certainly didn't think that the USA was hard done by. When I thought uh, in Romania, it was just one of those things. Leighton Leighton Hodges uh, actually did both the Russia and the and the Romania game for the USA. I thought he he did make an attempt to um, keep the ball available. I think that was good for the USA. And I think you know the 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 comment you make, Bruce, about the ball being slowed down, the the professional fouls. The USA has been dealing with this for years. It's so frustrating because you'll hear players say, well, you know, they were lying on the ball. We couldn't do anything about it. It was a problem. Well, what what was great about this game against Romania is they did something about it because even though Romania was killing the ball, the Eagles got quick enough ball to score tries. Yeah, you know what? They, the Eagles are just playing with a positive game plan. I mean, they're not sitting there waiting for the other team uh, to get up or try and then to go into a pick-and-go mode. They are playing rugby, and that's a lot of fun to watch. You know, whether or not it's perfect rugby, it's improving rugby, and it's improving every week, and it's awesome to see. I had a great time watching it. I had a lot more fun watching this than I thought. I, I thought they would go 2-1. I thought they'd wipe Romania. I didn't expect them to play as tough against Tonga as they did and, and, and as uh, and as well for as long. and. I will say I was happy. It exceeded my expectations as a fan. It exceeded my expectations knowing a lot of the players. Um, and I thought it was great. And I think that they have a very good platform to use as a, uh, as a springboard moving forward. I think there's a lot of work to do. They know exactly what it is. And they can prepare themselves for their summer tests Pretty, pretty well, because they know where they're strong and where they help, hope to improve that strength or build on it. 
and they know where they have some weaknesses and they can build on those and continue to build on those. Those are becoming better and better. And I think that come summertime, we might see something special. We, we certainly are capable of, we're certainly very capable of qualifying for the World Cup this summer, saving a hell of a lot of money and getting ourselves into more lower tier one games that could give us opportunities to move up the rankings. This is a very exciting time for USA yeah. Rugby. I, um, no, no thanks to USA Rugby. Well, it's a very you know, exciting the, time for rugby in the United States. The, the one thing is hiring Mike Tolkien has proved to work. Uh, it's not like he's at sea, doesn't know what to do. He managed to uh, put together a game plan, that, uh, and I realize that Tony Smith is involved and all this stuff, but he, he put together a team that went out and did something that hasn't been done in a while, and that is win an, uh, a, a foreign tour. And uh, I, I think... Well, I, think like... I, think, I think a lot of that is that he does trust the guys that he coaches with, and he allows them to have a fair bit of autonomy. Mm-hmm. And by allowing that fair bit of autonomy, the coaches buy in. It really gets it, – it's a – you feel like – you feel special. You feel like you're a piece of it. You're not just some guy with a video camera and 10 minutes of practice. Right. Everybody has – you know, you have a role. You don't just stand there with your thumbs up your butt and, you know, hope to get a couple couple minutes every few sessions. So it, it's a different vibe. It's a different way of coaching than, than maybe a lot of people have done in the past. So it's a, it's a, good, it's a good thing. It's good. Okay, so we've, we've got this vibe, and I wonder if that translates into some players becoming more enthusiastic about the national team, some coaches, some, some uh, American coaches getting more enthusiastic about that pr- program and – uh, maybe pushing some players to uh, think national team, things like that. I I don't know, but you know we 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 have to have ownership of this team nationally, and 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 so to to see them perform well, I think I think that helps get ownership as well. Well, we discussed this last week, and you know I'm not going to beat on that again. But he, Pat Clifton has a guy, a, a strong young prop who has. Tremendous, uh, the strong young, he, he plays second and back row, but probably translates into a prop. Big farm boy, tough kid, who's looking, you know, who's looking for an opportunity to play a bit of rugby. So, you know, Pat's buying in the thing. He sees a guy who know he knows is motivated. You know, he's trying to push him into uh, into different places. So, uh, I think that you know, and and that's going to be happening throughout the country. I do think the net has to be cast a little bit wider. I do think we need to develop, and and I think that we're on the way to start to do that. That has to get better, because until that gets better, the bench is never going to be what it could be. All right. True. All right, we are going to be right back, but uh, we're going to be talking about another national team that's got something important to do and got, got to get better, and that's the USA 7s team, which is coming up in Dubai. We'll be right back. Hey fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. 
go to rugbyimports.com. Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America. We've been talking about uh, the USA men's 15s team on tour. I don't want to um, completely ignore the national uh, women's team, but but what we're going to be doing is we'll be talking about them in a show coming up. So instead of just sort of doing a passing little mention, oh, yeah, and the women's team played and went one and two, uh, oh, yeah, I just did that. And then uh, uh, talking a little bit about the women's uh, sevens team, which is, by the way, an extremely good team, and you should uh, check them out because they're going to be great. Uh, we're going to be talking about them in another show. Uh, so we're, we're talking about the men's the men's sevens team now in Dubai. And I remember the, the men's sevens team has really struggled uh, the last several tournaments. The only um, – we've seen them do a couple of – minor tournaments where they've played relatively well. Uh, they struggled in Gold Coast. Um, and and what happened looking into Dubai is that uh, Alex Magleby, head coach, had some players that he lost to the 15s team. And, I, and fortunately, there isn't this big argument between the 15s and the 7s coach. There's actually a meeting. Uh, Mike Tolkien, Alex Magleby, and the players talk about uh, – these kinds of things, uh, so it's it's not a surprise that these players weren't available. But Luke Hume and Peter Dahl went with the 15s Eagles, and because of that, um, they weren't in camp with the sevens team. And it might have been at another time, uh, you know, whether it's Alex Magleby uh, or Al Caravelli or another coach, they might have chosen to bring those guys in last minute. In this case, Magleby decided not to. He said, if you're not in camp, I can't coach you. If I can't coach you, uh, especially when we have trouble with cohesion, then we need to have a team that's been training together. So uh, Hume is out. Dahl is out. Mike Palafau has a new job in Seattle. He's out. Um, and Tyanosa and Rocco Maurer were just not picked. And in... And then the lineup we have is Nate Augsburger, Nick Edwards, Jack Halalilo, Matt Hawkins, Colin Hawley, Carlin Isles, Falau Niua, Shalom Suniula, Mike Teo, Zach Test, and Brett Thompson. By the way, check out Shalom Suniula's uh, regular column he does for RugbyMag.com because he's a good writer and he's uh, saying some interesting things. So this is a change. And uh, and Pat Clifton, first of all, uh, a bunch of different interesting changes some guys coming back from injury some uh, guys coming back from a little bit of a break and I think perhaps the the guy that really just sort of burst onto the scene is Nate Augsburger yeah Nate uh, Nate is a he's a shifty player he's a fun player to watch um, he's gotten a lot stronger over the last couple of years you can just tell him looking at his body from summer to summer and, and what he's done to it um, he's a short guy right but he's he's very thick for being as short as he is and he's a strong Strong guy, very agile, has a good pass, has some good ball handling skills. Um, definitely probably projects out as your, as your scrum half, fly half, um, and probably not a whole lot of other places. Um, but Nate has done nothing but work hard. And I, you know, when he went down and chose to go work at Chula Vista, um, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Nate is among the hardest working guys down there and the hungriest guys down there. And so he's probably earned his way on um, by really just – you know, pounding the weights and doing all the right things down there. So congrats to him and kudos to him. And I think that one thing you also notice is, is Nate is, I think you're going to find he's a good tackler and a good defender. And I think that may be one of the areas that 
Um, it definitely is the area that the Tyanosa probably needed to work on the most and is maybe one of the reasons why he's not on this team and Nate is. Um, and and there, there were a couple other issues probably with Ty's play on the last stop too, but um, I think Nate's going to bring some defense to this and he's going to see what he has. So uh, no big issue there. And, but I still wouldn't expect Nate to be a regular starter. Some of the, you know, the two troubling changes I think are the lack of Luke Hume and Mike Palafow. And I don't, you know, neither one I think is one that Matt will be wanted to deal with. Uh, Mike Palafow started 60 straight games for the 17. He started every single game so far in 2012. Um, that's every game on every stop in the IRB 7 series. Uh, and that's pretty impressive, and I think that says a lot um, about what both Magleby and Al Caravelli thought of Mike Palafow and what he brought to the game. So it's unfortunate that he's going to be unavailable, and it looks like for the foreseeable future he'll be unavailable, if not, you know, for the rest of time. But um, so that's yeah, well, it's a, it's a reality of the game, right? That right. These guys have got to take care of their families. They've got uh, they got to get a job. They got to pay the bills, and while. The sevens players are being paid. They're not being paid enough to raise a family on. Oh, not even close. And there's a, there's no, um, you know, I would never uh, say anything poorly about Mike's decision. That's he's got to do what he's got to do. It just it just stinks from looking at a team perspective. The other one is Luke Hume, and Luke Hume's such an dynamic player, electric player. It really stinks to lose him. And he'd be the one guy that, um, you know, I always kind of it got a, I think it got an outcare very crawl. But every time he would bring on Paul Emmerich, and it always seemed to be right around the Vegas tournament. He'd bring him onto the team, and every time Paul was on the field, he would make fantastic plays. And then I'd say, Al, why aren't you playing him more? Oh, well, he's got to get more into seven shape, and I get that. Um, but maybe this, maybe Lequeux not being selected here will be the way I can make Alex Magdal be upset. I don't know. But no, I, I'm just teasing there, but Lequeux is obviously a huge loss. So those two guys are big, big losses. What uh, Jack Halliel and Nate, Nate Oxford are completely untested on this in this arena, and so they'll be the big question marks. Um, but I definitely think he lose a lot in Hume and Uh If the drawback on Hume, Hume is a dynamic player, but I I, I think sometimes he, um, especially in a, in a, on a team at the Gold Coast that was kind of losing its way, he'd be the t- kind of guy who you think you know you might look at it and say he's taking charge, or you might look at it and say he's kind of going off on his own. He's not working within the team concept so Hume while and I love I love him I think he's great and I thought he played really good on tour for the Eagles uh he's still he's still got a lot to learn as we all do uh Bruce um Bruce you have anything to add on this well one thing I would add Alex is I agree with I agree with Mags on the selections uh 100% and not necessarily I don't know enough about all the personnel to say who we should have taken. I think it's it's an unfortunate situation to miss a person like Palafow, who is not only big, he's fast and he's strong and he's experienced, but taking that away with Hume and any of the other 15 guys is, as, it, uh, as it plays out, I think the cohesion is a lot more important than one-off individual ability. And I think that Mags made a very smart and shrewd move by going for cohesion. You have to be a team. It's the only thing that brings the intangibles to the game. It's the only thing that brings the trust. It's the only thing that brings something that can can maybe guide you toward victory. I, I, I think that he was an unbelievable player. I think that he's a fantastic athlete. He's, he's, he's awesome to have in camp. 
But if you're trying to achieve something, you need everybody to be 100% bought into to that. And at the moment, he was pretty fixed on 15. And that's fine. And and he went with sevens, guys. And I think that that's important. I do think they're two different games. And I do think that that Luke is more suited for 15s than he is for sevens, although he is a good sevens player. And I think that uh, that Mags made the correct choice. And so hopefully the results pan out in, in a way that he wants and, and that the rest of us want in the USA. That I, I, I can't really speak to, but I absolutely agree with the way he went about it because I'm a big believer in cohesion. I'm a big believer in vibe. I'm a big believer in the way things are. And, and that was, so I find that to be important. You know, I think that there are some players who can slot between 15s and 7s quickly. Um, and I think Luke Hume is probably one of those guys. I think Paul Emmerich generally did a pretty good job. Uh, but but for other guys, it's difficult. And especially for a forward, uh, if, if, you're, if you're playing you know, number six on a 15s team, uh, your your body is is expected to be different than if you're playing prop on a sevens team. And we talked about players who are just sort of yo-yoing between being 220 and 245, and it's really difficult. Um, the I, I do agree with you on yeah. Hume, Hume being Hume, and I would say that possibly Wiles would be yeah, probably Wiles, the two guys Wiles, on that Wiles team that I would say would yeah. be able to play seven games. Other than that, I don't think that they, they translate all that well. I like Peter Donald and all that, and, and I think he's a good sevens player, but I think he's a club player, not, a, not an international. Uh, play, players would like to see perhaps break out. I think Brett Thompson got his feet wet. He is a really good athlete. He uh, played a little football in college. He's a, a, a smart rugby guy, been involved in rugby uh, his entire life because of his dad, uh, Salty Thompson, and I just think um, this might be an opportunity for him. Uh, Carlin Isles has already been the breakout guy. His big uh, issue is: is he going to be, is he going to be able to handle playing when there's a target on his back? Because everybody knows about him now. Um, Pat, you see anybody else you want, you'd like to see perhaps a little bit more of? I think Mike Teo. I think that he's got a little bit of, uh, you know, Wally Mai in him, and that he's uh, he's he's a pretty fierce tackler. He's a really physical guy, and I think that's something that. The team is lacking, and I think that's one of the characteristics we're going to be better at this time around than we were in, in, in Gold Coast is the physicality should be better just based on the personnel. And um, i like to see him get a little more time. But, you know, I, I, I think Carlin Isles is going to do just fine. Um, if they didn't know he was uh, on the team because he was fast in Gold Coast, then that was just ignorance on most of the team's part. And, uh, you know, if he gets out there and they play him, you know, they overplay him, that's going to create a lot of opportunities back inside of him. So We hope so. That's, yeah. Yeah. If if, if they if they if they use them right. Yeah. Uh, Alex, I would have to say I would defer one hundred percent to Magazine yeah. in his selections. Yeah. I you know I That's just okay. I can't honestly say that that I know enough about these players as sevens players. I mean, honestly, I've seen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've seen the All Stars, and I've seen Neely Poole do well, and you know I've seen Northeast Championships and things like that, where I've seen Luke Hume play, and 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 I 
Yeah, I mean, there's certain players here. Didn't you there. didn't you see Maka Nufe at the high school finals? You saw Maka at the high school finals a few years ago. Well, yeah, but yeah, you know, I, I guess. mean, that's that's it's not. I'm not knowing who it is. I'm not seeing who they're playing sevens. I, the biggest thing to me is is sevens is a different game. It and and it's and and there's a lot in it that's a lot different than a fifteens game. And I think that I think that these guys, I, I'm I'm glad that. That they're playing, I don't, I don't have an have a real opinion as to who should or shouldn't be on. I do think though that there's a lot of players out there. I would like to see, you know, 60, 70, 80 guys going down to San Diego and just kind of playing sevens over the next few months, just jumping in and playing like games, even if they're rough touch games or things like that. Kind of seeing who's who. Guys who really love to play sevens. We have a lot of Polynesians and a, a lot of, of black players or African American players in our in our country that they just need time to be able to play. I mean, for up to me, I, I wouldn't select a whole lot of white guys um, moving into the Olympics. Um, <laughs> you know, one or two, but I, I'm not. You know, I'm not kidding. You know, I mean, it, you know, the NFL is not made up of white guys, not in speed positions. Seven yeah. to the speed game. That's well. That's, that's, I mean, I'm not no, being a joke about it. I'm just being pretty realistic about it. It's a good. No, it's 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 a legitimate point to make. Really, where are you going to get your players? Um, what one of the things there was a comment uh, posted on Facebook team, and uh, um, I mentioned that Nick Edwards has shown up into camp with his U.S. passport, and a comment basically saying, you know, how how many of these players are true Americans, which which is a uh, well, that's, you know what, I, 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 Nick Edwards played for EAC, so I, yeah, I kind of know his story. Nick, yeah. Nick's, Nick's story is that his, his father is an American. Yes. His father's American. And the reason he didn't have a passport initially was they didn't apply for the passport when they moved to Australia. They didn't apply for the passport before he was 18. And that was, and that's just a legal glitch that he had to work around, and he finally got around to it. So Nick's father is an American. He's American. That's the way it is. And we want we want to sit and say, like, you know, where are they from and all this, whatever. Yeah, hey, I know. I, I, th- I, I we're think playing they're... within the rules. Yes. Of, we're playing within the rules. He's, yeah. He's following the rules. The, the, Everybody there is else a... is playing within the rules, too. Yeah. There is we a... shouldn't have to play different rules because we feel like playing different rules. But, but... – People in the United States tend to get a little bit antsy about that. There is a, an element of whatever there, but the reason I brought it up, partly because it's actually very interesting that of the 12 players, 10 of them were born in United States territory, if you include American Samoa, which you should because it's, you're a U.S. national when you're born there. And uh, of the two who were not, uh, one of them, Nick Edwards, his his uh, father is an American, and uh, speaking as someone who was born overseas, but my parents are American, it doesn't mean that you're not American. And there are plenty of uh, uh, Americans born overseas. And then Matt Hawkins is a U.S. citizen. He's naturalized and uh, moved to this country and become an American citizen. So it's just like the, the, well, I wanted to bring it up just to sort of throw it out the window, but I found it very interesting that through all this stuff we talk about Polynesian players and things like that, and there are a bunch of Polynesian players on this team. They're all Americans, and I just want to remind people about that, that they're all Americans. I want to say one thing about that. For everybody who doesn't believe that 
we shouldn't play by the rules and, and, and utilize our people who are eligible for us to the best of our ability, I would just say go to the gym, work out, run, and do more skill work. And stop complaining about whether or not someone else is on a team in place of you or your friend. Just go to the gym, work out, do your mental training, do your skills training, and you'll be good enough. Or put yourself in a situation where you're playing for the best teams and see if you can cut it on the best team and be the best player on the best team. You'll get picked. You'll get looked at. Yeah. Players do get looked at. It's, it's, not, it's not difficult. It was more difficult 15 years ago identifying us. We know who these guys are. You know, we know who they are. Put yourself in a position to put yourself out. Sorry, Pat. I was just going to say, forget about passports. If you don't own at least one Toby Keith CD, you shouldn't be strapping on the red, white, and blue jersey. I think that should be the criteria. Let's do it. One other thing about the origin thing, there, the rules, and I, yeah, play by the rules. It's great. The When you talk about the Olympics, the rules are a little bit different. You have to ha- be, have a, be a passport holder. On the Ivory circuit, you don't have to be a passport holder. You just have to at least follow the eligibility uh, um uh, rules that they have there, which include like residency requirements, things like that. So, um, you know, when when you're talking about, for example, being on the Olympic team and being a, a contracted player on the Olympic team, you have to be a passport holder, and and that makes a difference. Uh, we're going to f- wrap up with this pool, uh, uh, Pool D in Dubai. Uh, USA is in with Canada, Australia, and France. Now, these are all teams that the USA has lost to in in recent meetings but are capable of beating. France France can be great. France can be awful. Canada uh, has, has had the USA's number, and what's frustrating about that is, I don't know how many times in a row now, it's got to be six games in a row, the USA has had the ball in their hands with a chance to either close out the game or win it, and they've fumbled it or made a mistake, and, the, and Canada has scored to win the game. That's extremely frustrating. And then Australia, very, very good team, but they're young. They're untried. This is actually a winnable pool. But here's what uh, Alex Magleby said to me about this. He said, it's, it's, you've got to think about what progress the team is making on developing its skills, developing their culture, developing the way they play. If they go out and play Canada and Canada misses a couple of kicks – and then they go and play France, and France knocks the ball on eight times, and they beat them. That doesn't mean that the Eagles are any better than they were a week, two weeks, a month ago. That's fair, but I still want you to win. So if they knock the ball on eight times and we win, I'll be happier than I was two weeks ago or a month ago. Not that that's the end goal, but you're right. I mean, and, and Alex Magleby is smarter than any of us talking probably, so I'll, I'll definitely, uh, you know, step off to him. But – you know, we want to see results. We want to see the improvement eventually, you know, quantify itself in results. And so uh, be losing to Canada to me again, no matter how well we play, um, is going to be um, pretty disappointing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can't say anything wrong with what Alex says, but wins it's, along with improvement is pretty fun. It's a, it's a short-term high to win with, if the other team is playing crappy. And and I guarantee you, what's gonna if the if the USA makes the cup round because 
they get a little bit lucky, or even if they play really well, even if they they just have a, a lights out uh, Friday, you're going to see uh, the 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 people interviewing them on pitch side saying, "What did you do to get so much better?" And I know Alex Magleby will say, "Well, I'm something along the lines of I'm not sure we're better. This doesn't prove we're better." And I and and I think that fans should look at it that way as well because if if they you, lose, I think, yeah, I think you got to be careful with all this. First, if a team makes that many mistakes when you're playing against them, generally it's the pressure that you've put on them through your play that has created those mistakes. Did you capitalize on the pressure? I'm. There's a lot in this. Bottom line is, and. And it's 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 he's taking some of the expectation off of his players. Yes. The fact is, each of these teams is very beatable. Each of these teams is someone that we can beat. Also, we can lose to. But there's nobody in that bracket that we can't beat. And when I say I'm talking about the New Zealand, South Africa's Fijis, and I'm not saying that yeah, we haven't had a one-off win against them, you know, in in. In different uh, in different tournaments, but the fact is, these are all teams that we are capable of playing with, and if we take it, you know, one play at a time, one half at a time, and and just try to maintain our focus on being in the present, then we have an opportunity. If we start and and if they do go three and zero, which they're capable of doing, or two and one and they get into that cup round, well, that's awesome. Fantastic. And if, and if they go 2-1 and one and wind up getting wiped by Fiji, okay, so what? I'll take the 2-1 and one on the Friday or the first day, day one, rather than 2-1 and one on day two and a 1-2 and two or 0-3. I think that this is a great opportunity for this team to do well. And... If, if they're able to perform on the Friday, they are better. You know why? Because they haven't performed on the Friday in a, in, in a bit. So they are better. Whether or not they're a two-day team, I don't know. But Yeah, we don't know. The fact is, it's the other, the other team, there's nothing you can do about that. You can't control them. You can only control how you play, how you react to things, and how you approach everything. But if they approach it well... And they react well, they'll play well. And they have an opportunity to go 3-0. and I don't know when they've done that in the past on the circuit where they've gone 3-0 and on a Saturday or on, a, on day one. I think that this is an extremely exciting opportunity for them to be able to go 3-0. and And it would be awesome if they did. I'm not expecting it. 2-1 and would be more realistic of an expectation. But I think that... Three and zero is certainly possible, and zero and three is certainly possible. Yeah, it so, is, and that's what makes this—that's what makes this awesome. They're playing appropriate competition three times, relatively equal competition, a little bit above, a little bit below. They're playing relatively equal competition three times, and that is a great thing for USA Sevens. That's a yeah. great thing. Because we are going to find out who you are. You know, we're going to be able to look in the mirror after this one. This is going to be great, awesome opportunity. Yeah, I, I also think he's he's trying to um, maintain an idea that 
that the direction they're going is the direction they need to go. Um, if they fall into habits that Magleby doesn't want to see and they still win, you know how athletes are. They just say, hey, I did it last time and I won. So um, we, we have hopefully the next generation of USA 7s players playing this weekend as well. And, and Pat and I will be busy Boy, you know, Pat, we're not going to get any sleep, are we? Because we're going to be at the uh, Collegiate Sevens um, through the day. And then, you know, in Dubai, they play in the middle of the night. So, Yeah, I was yeah. looking at that uh, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> dreading it it's already. Not, so. not going to happen. No sleep at all. We'll be right back and we'll talk Collegiate Sevens Championships on Rugged Matrix America. Hey, everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Invitational. It's wrapped around, of course, the USA 7s International Tournament, and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level. Uh, You've got the CRC qualifier. You've got... uh, Women's, 15s and 7s, it's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s and you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com, check on the LVI link and see how to pre-register. Just a reminder, we are getting on celebration season, holiday season. We want you to celebrate and have fun, but do it responsibly. And a great way to do that and have fun is to go to hookerwines.com. Check out the Lauer family line of wines. They're rugby people. They're wine people. They know what they're doing. Hookerwines.com. Okay, this is Alex Goff with Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton on Rugged Matrix America. Don't forget, you can listen to Rugged Matrix America on the iTunes. Go to the iTunes store, download it. Uh, you can also go to RuggedMatrix.com and get information uh, and, and get the other shows that they do, the Rugged Matrix show. Um, we are uh, uh, pleased to be sponsored by RugbyImports.com and also by the USA 7s and the Las Vegas Invitational and the RugbySite.com and, of course, Hooker wines we have uh been talking about the eagles uh both 15s and 7s now we are also coming up this weekend uh the uh usa uh, rugby's uh, collegiate sevens championships uh we're going to be talking about the women in the next show um uh, i'll just say about the women's uh, competition that norwich showed up last year nobody really was thinking about them and they blew everybody away and i'm looking at the the brackets again and uh, I think Norwich is going to blow everybody away again. So we'll talk about the women the next time. Uh, the men, uh, this is a, a large field of teams. It is uh, five pools of four teams. And we'll just run down the pools real fast. We'll talk about who we like, who maybe be a dark horse, uh, things like that. It is an exciting lineup of teams. Pool A is Life University, Wisconsin, Colorado State, and Northeastern. Pool B is Cal, Arkansas State, North Carolina State and Middlebury. Pool C, Central Washington, Kutztown, Virginia, and Texas. Pool D is Dartmouth, Cal Poly, Air Force, and Navy. Pool E, Texas A&M, who's hosting it. St. Mary's, Western Washington, and Bowling Green. And then Pool F, San Diego State, Davenport, Delaware, and Lindenwood. And I don't know, uh, Pat Clifton, first of all, the, the team where – Everybody could tie. 
um, possibly Pool F or, or Pool D. You've got some a lot of four teams that are all very close um, in quality. Yeah, Pool F, Pool D. Um, I think in every pool except for Pool A, um, you have at least two teams who could win it realistically. Uh, pool F is extremely tight. Lindenwood is very, very talented. I don't, you know, they don't commit a whole lot to sevens. I don't think that they're very committed to sevens um, training or think of it as much of a focus, but they definitely have some athletes who could find themselves being very good sevens players. They got, you know, Morgan Finley has played with the Dog River Howlers and might be the best fullback in America. Um, yeah, Madison Hughes would have something to say about that. He's also in um, a very tough pool. Uh, you also look at Delaware is a very good sevens team, um, coached by a good sevens coach. Um, they've got certainly some experience. Davenport has probably the best sevens player in the country in J.P. Eloff, um, and some very good players surrounded, uh, you know, surrounding him. And San Diego State is coached by Matt Hawkins, which is a, a darn good coach to have. And um, they've got some great players in Mike Shea, Clay Conrad, Jimmy Kelm. So that's a fantastically loaded pool. But I look at, you know, I look at Pool E, and I think Texas A&M and St. Mary's are both very good teams. I look at Pool D, and I see Dartmouth and Cal Poly and Air Force. And all those teams are good. I, I would say Cal Poly and Dartmouth um, are probably the two favorites to win that pool. You move to Pool C. You, you do? You do? Okay. Yeah. Okay, I, I like Air Force. I like Air Force for this one, actually. I know. Anyway, I, okay. We can argue about that. I know you do. <laughs> I just I, – I, I haven't seen them beat a team that's all, all that great yet. I mean, they beat Colorado, and they've beaten Colorado State and some other teams there. But um, I think that there are some other teams with more wins on their resume. Central Washington, Kutztown, both of those teams could win the whole thing. Cal, Arkansas State, both of those teams could win the whole thing. So outside of the pool that has life, I think every other pool is up for grabs for at least two teams, if not three or four. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an exciting group. I think life is really powerful. And, th- I mean, it's a good it's a good contest to see who finished second in Pool A, uh, probably Wisconsin, actually. Uh, um, you've got – you've I already saw your preview, uh, Pat, that you, know, you and I collaborated. You did most of it on Pool B. Uh, and you, you think that Cal and Arkansas State are probably really close. I think – I think they're very different kinds of teams as well. I think I think Arkansas State probably has uh, a significant size advantage over Cal, uh, a noticeable one. Anyway, uh, this this will be uh, an enjoyable thing because we do have a number of teams that are good enough to win a national championship, and this is all a result of people tr- working harder at developing sevens programs. There are a few teams that didn't go to this. Um, Virginia Tech and UCLA are your key ones. And then Army, well, Army didn't play sevens at all this fall, so I, I don't know if you can count them. But UCLA and v- Virginia Tech would have qualified, opted not to go because they're going to the CRC. They're also uh, really, really strong. So it's it's like uh, um, we're, we're just – we're not looking at two or three teams and saying these are the only teams that can play sevens. Now we're looking at you know eight or nine that can actually play. Yeah, there I mean, there I think that you can break it up into a couple tiers. I think that there are probably four teams that I would put as most realistic chance to win this thing and probably five actually. And then you expand that out, I'd say there's another four or five that um their odds would be a little bit lower if Vegas was doing the doing the odds thing on this one. And then there are probably another four or five below that who if everything goes right, they stay healthy, um they could do they could win as well. So I think that the, you probably have three top tiers and then a fourth tier of 
fourth and fifth tier, probably guys that don't have any shot, no matter how well things go for them. But they're, I mean, they're probably realistically speaking, 10 teams who aren't crazy, maybe even <laughs> yeah. 12, crazy for thinking they have a chance to win. So, and you know what? Like last year, we could have argued it. And last year, I think the best tournament pool put together was the CRC qualifier and the Las Vegas Invitational. Uh, but this year, I think that the national championship definitely, not, now it's also got four more teams than the CRC has to work with. But I think it definitely is the best tournament that we're going to see. Uh, Bruce, who do you like? I think that there's, you know, probably seven or eight teams that have a chance to win. <clears throat> and then the others have no chance. But um, I think it's good that they're going and that they'll get the experience. I, I can't say... <clears throat> Who I, I can't say who I would absolutely favor. I, I, I guess I'd have to favor life, and the rationale behind it is that they'll probably have an easier day one, and by having an easier day one, perhaps they'll be able to rest a few people and not have and and be a little bit fresher, a little bit bit more ready for day two. So. If I were a betting man, it would be life. And that's my rationale behind it. It isn't necessarily because I think that life has all these awesome players who are better than Cal or Arkansas State or, or Kutztown or Delaware or Central Washington or St. Mary's, where it's that much of a difference. I just think that the uh, that the fact that they are uh, that they're going to have an easier day one. That that's going to translate into a a better day too. I think that's a good rationale. And the thing about it is that I I know a lot of sevens teams have played you know four five six games in one day, but the the thing about that is that every team is playing a lot of games in a day and they kind of pace themselves and and you do get tired and things kind of soften up when you know you're only playing three games in a day. The intensity wraps up. Uh, significantly. So these will be some of the most intense sevens games that the players play. And as a result, uh, I, I think what you're saying, Bruce, does come into play. I think I think surviving day one as well as winning, but but surviving it is is a huge factor. Uh, so so life life in that sense is is really in a great uh, situation. And then you think about the fact that for for the the way the schedule pans out, usually your top two seeds are set to play in the late afternoon. Uh, they're going to be they're going to be tired. Uh, they're going to try to have uh, saved something. Somebody, and I don't know who, but somebody is going to possibly make a mistake and save something for the big game at the end of the day and get upset. And we saw that uh, happen last year in in nationals, and we we've seen it before. Um, so it, it is kind of a crapshoot. Uh, Pat, if you wanted to pick one team, who would it be? I'm going to go with Arkansas State. I think that um, they have – you look at a player that can make a play out of nothing or make a play when it's needed and just run over a guy, run around a guy, or make a play. I think that they have more guys on their team who can make individual plays than any other team in the pool. And I think that they return a ton from last year. They only lost one game last year at Nationals. It was to life. They crushed Kutztown. They beat Central Washington. Um, they have beaten all these teams, and I think that they're really good. They're flying under the radar a tad bit, 
and um, they've got size, they've got speed, and they've got two of my favorite players to watch, and Zach Mizell and Dylan Carrion. And um, I, I think that they really do have more individual talent than any any other team. That said, if, so, if they falter against Cal, they might not even make it to the Cup quarters. So while they're my favorite, it's not remotely unfathomable to see them not even be in the cup quarters because only two teams who finish second in a pool are going to make it. That's correct. Hey, can, I, can I, can I bring, can I bring, I know that you were mentioning that uh, teams might rest people. I, I actually think that more seven tournaments are lost when you're up by 25 or 30 points and you leave your star players in and they start running in 70, 80, 90-yard tries. And they're in a canter, and you think it's not taking any of their legs out of them. Then they go into the next game or the next day, and they're useless. The other thing to mention to that, Bruce, is this year, unlike last year, you can use all five subs. So a team that has the ability to use all five subs and not lose that much is a team that – is going to have a great advantage over other ones who can't. And I think Arkansas State is a team that can empty the bench and still win a game. And I, I think there are a couple others maybe like that, but um, I think they definitely have a very deep bench too. Yeah, I, I, well, that's that's a that's a that's a big big factor. Now, now when you say that, you you narrow that field of being able to win down quite a bit. I think that you now you narrow it down to the big boys. The, the best, the best team is going to win this. They, they, there's not going to be a dark horse, not with that rule. That rule just changes everything. Well, I mean, that's the seventh rule now. The new IRB sevens rule that's been adopted. I mean, that's the way they're doing it on the circuit as well. That's yeah, a good rule. Yeah, I'm just. This is the first time we've seen it in a major college sevens tournament so far. Um, but you know, the one dark horse I'll say I think. I but oh, sorry, sorry. I, I wanted a question. In one game. In one game. You could use all you could your use five seven. players in one yes, game. That's correct. Holy cannoli, man! That's a that's a that's a game changer. That's crazy stuff. Maybe I should follow. Maybe I should follow things more better. More better. That's, I, I, I'm educated. Well, you know, uh, I I miscounted when I said it was five pools of four, and it was, of course, it was uh, six pools of four. And that's the that's the point. First of all, that really to get into the cup quarters, you got to win your pool. So it, it puts so much on that final game. And not only that, but the, the, the opposite of using all your subs is the fact that if, if, you're, if your tiebreaker includes points difference, you can't let up when you're winning a game because you know you may end up losing that, that key match at the end and you end up uh, um, having to rely on points difference to get in you know, as, as one of the best two second-place teams. So we're gonna, we we look at this, and you probably are going to see somebody Arkansas State or Kutztown or Cal or Central Washington, Cal Poly, Dartmouth, St. Mary's, A and M, San Diego State, Davenport. Um, we're not going to see at least three of those teams make the Cup quarterfinals. That's going to be the shocker. Um, I tell you who I, you know, I like. I guess in the end. Uh, I'm going to go for California because you already picked life and you already picked Arkansas State. I really like Central Washington. Um, I really do, and I think I'd probably lean that way as well. Um, but uh, and since I really like St. Mary's, but in the end, I think um, 
I'll I'll have to go with Cal. See how that goes. What about? I will say. Can I say the yes, reason yes. I didn't jump on the live train is because not only is Cam Dolan hurt, but Glenn Maricelli is out with an injury too. And Glenn is a fantastic player with a fantastic motor. And I think that with both of those guys out, their forward pack is going to be hurting, and their depth is going to be hurting. If if just Glenn was back in that pool, not that Glenn is you know an amazing player that makes all the difference, but I think that their depth um, is hurt quite a bit with with those injuries. Good. What about Davenport? Um, I don't know their depth I mean, well so enough. Easy, it's so easy to count out Davenport. I mean, I know I've done it where you say, all right, it's it's really just their first year competing in, in Division One fifteens. I don't know if they can go all the way. And then they go all the way. And then you say, well, I don't know if they can repeat. Then they repeat. So why why should we the – only, the, the only time we've seen Davenport um, lose a major sevens game was – against uh, Utah in the LVI, and they needed to threaten Palamo to come on and win it for them. Certainly. And, you know, I wouldn't – I mean, I'm not counting Davenport out of the mix. They certainly are that good. And J.P. Eloff, I have the most respect for that guy, um, you know, as much respect for that guy as anybody. And I, Davenport, their record isn't that great coming into this because they did travel to some tournaments without J.P. He's played a ton of rugby in the last 12 months, and – God forbid, get the guy a, a game off or two, and they they lose a couple games. But um, they they certainly could do it. I just don't know their depth well enough. I know they're relying on a lot of youth for their depth and for some of their starting players as well. Um, and and I think that they have a lot of a lot of the really good strength of their team is in the pack in terms of their 15s team. So when I run down the guys I know on that team, a lot of those guys are are, are packies, 15s packies who don't necessarily translate to sevens. Um, but the ones that do, like Ryan Ryan Hargraves, I think the world of too. So I would not be shocked if Davenport won it. My, as I mentioned, Lindenwood, their talent is through the roof, through the roof. So if these guys come in and you know I'm just being having the wool pull over my eyes by thinking they're not concentrating on sevens as much as they are, I wouldn't be shocked if they came in and were fantastic too. Um, so those would be, you know, Lindenport, Lindenwood is definitely a, a dark horse. Um, that would be the one that would scare me the most. And Davenport. I don't think they would shock the world if they won, would they? Neither would San Diego State, in my opinion. No. No, I think I, – yeah. I, I, I think San Diego State might shock if if they were to win only because, you know, I mean, the coach is away, has been away for a bit. I, I, that's that's probably going to be a stretch for them to, to pull it off. But I said the same thing about Mags being away when Dartmouth won the CRC. Um, so that that may be not a not as big of a deal. Who knows? I I would you know Cal with Seamus Kelly. I I think he probably has a point to prove. Um, so I mean it would be nice if if they did well. Lyndon, there's so many teams with Delaware is going to be is going to be very strong. Lyndon won in Davenport, and it it, it it's a it's a very interesting tournament. I think that the structure of it probably could use four more teams and they play a Hong Kong format in uh with the with the with the eight groups of three or something of that nature. You know, we we have the format that we have. Um I, I don't know that it's the uh I don't know that it's the, the best format for 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 running a tournament, but we did what we did and and, and that's that's great. I, I would probably have done it differently, but that's just me. 
Well, I, th- I think, you know, what we're going to f- end up with, I, I bet you you're going to have a situation where a second place team is able to run up the score on somebody uh, and because of that gets into the cup round and another second place team that feels like they're as good um, will struggle. So I think that... Alex, that's, that's the most despicable part of the whole thing. Yeah. I, I mean, there's nothing worse in sports to me and running up scores for the sake of running up scores. Yeah, you know, it, ha- having having a format that that makes you have to do that, especially, you know, you know what? I, I actually don't. They didn't have to have the format. Right, right, right. But and and I I don't really care about. Leave it to USA Rugby to do it right. Yeah, I, I, if you're talking about adults, I don't care frankly, but when you're talking about college kids or high school kids and then you're forcing a situation where you got to run up the score, that kind of stinks. So now, come on. If you don't want to get the score up on you, be better. And there ain't a team there's not there, there's not a single team that's coming to this thing. You know, all these kids are full of piss and vinegar thinking they can beat everybody. So um you you can't, you throw your hat in the ring for a reason. Nobody nobody was, you know, getting their flight paid for and, and being begged to come to this. True. But I still don't like it. I still, I still don't like that we ha- that that it has to happen. And when we talk about saving players and you know th- things like that, that we end up with a situation where. Well, you know what we could do is have Leah Berard ref all games, and if they get too out of hand, she just ends them three hey, minutes early. Now you really do have to let that go. <laughs> <laughs> Once it reaches reaches the year point, and we're after a full twelve months of it happening the first time, I'll let it go. It has been. It really does need to be let go. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, so in the end, yeah. You know, I circle back to the the really competitive pools. The thing is that if you look at San Diego State, Davenport, Delaware, Lindenwood, all very good teams. Remember, at least two, possibly three of those teams will not be playing for the cup round. And I think that's, I mean, I, in a way, I think that's a good thing because I think that the, the competitiveness of this uh, of the college sevens game, uh, again, started by the CRC, and nothing was happening, and then the CRC said, you know what, we should have co- college teams play uh sevens on tv and then suddenly everybody realized that this was really fun and here we have this uh and then we have the lvi and the qualifier to the crc and then uh we talked about we we didn't really talk about the crc teams being named but 19 of those 20 teams have been named they include uh teams like ucla i'm very excited about that Kutztown, they're going cal army navy uh very exciting group of teams that's going to that so that's uh that's a special time um, and I and I suppose someday maybe there's a there's a talk about what do we do about the young players who are not college material, but actually there's a plan in place to do something with them too. So we'll talk about the academy system sometime soon, and maybe when that gets out fully, we can have Alex Magle be on to talk about that. Maybe James Walker, who's involved as well. Um, so I think that wraps it up for the show. Uh, uh, I want to say again a congratulations to the USA men's national team for going two and one on tour, one close loss, and and the most comprehensive victory on the road that I have I have seen in a very long time uh, against Romania, 34 to three. Really, that's impressive to do. It's not easy again with a hostile hostile crowd there, and uh, you know we we hope the best for the USA sevens teams in Dubai. Um, the the women's team is kind of on a roll, 
and hopefully they'll be building on that role and the men's team is not on a roll and we'd like them to get it started um, and then you know if you're in in the neighborhood at college station in uh, near texas a&m go see the national collegiate sevens championships because it'll be a lot of fun um just you know if you come and say hello to pat or me don't be surprised if we start babbling gibberish because we're uh we are struggling with sleep. Um, the college now you're you're announcing it, right? You'll be the UStream announcer. The Collegiate Sevens they'll be webcast, I believe, on UStream, and, and ESPN three will be showing the semifinals and the finals, and I will be doing color commentary on that. So that'll be exciting too. It'll be good. But uh, all right, so that'll do it for us. Uh, thanks a lot, Bruce. Thanks a lot, Pat. Thanks for listening to Rugged Matrix America. 